Boom. And then does mine also do it or what? Did you press it? Or maybe only the host I pressed can. it. It says, please ask the host to give you permission. I mean, I'm asking, please. You know, but I feel like that's it's more of a button <laughs> than it just out loud. I don't think it's listening. Where does it say participants? Let me see. More. Here, look. I'll click it Make again. host. Oh, allowed to record local files. Oh, Try now. Okay. Host allows you to record the meeting. Okay. Record. All right. Yeah. Okay. Should we so just now, jump into it? Yeah. Two um, Jews, three recordings. <laughs> <laughs> this is going to be strange for our conversations, but nevertheless. All right. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the tentatively named Zal podcast, the Zal podcast. We'll get to the explanation for the name soon. Uh, my name is David Grossbaum, and I am joined by co-host, God willing, if he finds time for us, uh, Adam Levinson. Adam and I met in China. Mm -hmm. In Shanghai, and uh, we basically hit it off immediately and haven't parted away since. That's true. I mean, it's, well, it's, it's easy. It's it's easy to stay connected when there's that much fabringen going on and uh, you know upstairs <laughs> basically basically the, the second floor of a grocery store that was like a you know chabad in shanghai but um but it was uh it was like you coming to stand up i think is what it was it's like this this orthodox motherfuckers coming <laughs> to stand up comic uh, this is a good guy are you insinuating that the extent of our relationship is based solely on alcoholism I am not. I'm saying it's a origin story. <laughs> no, uh, <laughs> you know, knows? I was wondering. You know, there are many... I never asked you what were you doing in synagogue. You're not like a observant Jewish guy, but you just felt that if you were in Shanghai, away from the comforts of locks and bagels, you had to go to uh, a shul. It was. It was the only decent place in China to get a raw vegetable. It, <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, you could walk around town and, you know, you can definitely get street, you know, they could grill the hell out of an onion. But if you wanted to eat a carrot, it was really, you had to, you had, you had to go to Chabad. So it wasn't the also, entirety. Sorry, we're going to have to work on not interrupting each other because we both don't shut up. But <laughs> it wasn't the entirety of the lock sandwich. It was just the sliver of tomato within the lock sandwich, which was really speaking to you. Give me a tomato. <laughs> My kingdom for a tomato. The kingdom was very small, but I still know it. It was also that, like, I think, um, you know, in a city of 26 million people, just being connected to some community was really interesting. And even though it wasn't specifically, you know, the way that I grew up, um, I don't think it was the way that anybody grew up. I mean, it was South Africans and French guys and Americans and Brits. And, um, and it was just, a, I mean, it was a really interesting space to be in. And then there are friends that I have from there that are, you know, that are still, that are still close. So I thought without um, doing this for too long, but it would be worthwhile to just kind of give our goals for this podcast. And this could be a podcast in and of itself, which we don't want to do. But uh, Adam, I, Adam and I were thinking that for each podcast, for each episode, we would be taking an excerpt of a piece of Torah, a short one, uh, read it, translate it, 
analyze it and discuss it. But also because Adam and I are both fairly approachable people, it would be done less in a luxury academic tone and more in a more in a discussion among friends, I guess, you know, which probably sounds cliche now that I'm saying it into a microphone, but, uh, but that's the goal. And possibly uh, that is kind of summarizes why I named it the Zal podcast. Again, it's just tentative. Adam hates it. I borderline hate it as well. I don't hate it. I don't hate it. I just didn't know what it meant. That's all. So, so Azal is a Russian word in origin and it joined the Yiddish language or maybe just the Hasidic Yiddish language. I don't know, but um, it means a hall and it's used colloquially as a study hall where uh, usually yeshiva boys will, you know, they will be in the Zal while studying, but because it's a physical location filled with teenagers, um, Though the goal of the Zal is strictly study, practically speaking, and Adam could confirm sociology for me, practically speaking, it isn't used strictly for study. You'll, you could walk into a Zal uh, in any yeshiva in any country that you happen to be, and you'll find, uh, you know, kind of a delinquent yeshiva boy taking a nap in the corner of the Zal. And then in the other <laughs> corner of the Zal, you'll uh, see two people debating, you know, whether the moon landing was legitimate or, uh, <laughs> or, or yeah, half of this podcast to- will actually, <laughs> it's just going to be us napping is half of it is going to be naps. Yeah, that <laughs> so- basically summarizes it. I'm, I'm told I'm a quiet napper. So Adam, you're going to have to. Uh, well, either way, you know, this, uh, whatever, we'll figure it out. That's okay. something we really have to work on. Yeah. So that's the uh, so then in the Zal, obviously, there's also people actually study studying Torah. And um, ironically, I feel like strictly among observant, you could tell me if this makes sense, Adam, strictly among observant um, Jews, will you find this concept of almost being it's ironic, uh, you know, borderline disrespecting the presence of the of the Torah and like the fact that they're supposed to be studying nonstop. I feel like it's just because they're so at ease and truly comfortable with their Judaism that they feel like it's almost their home. And therefore, you know, even though it's not the goal, but conversations can happen in the Zal that aren't Torah reflecting and you know, even sleeping, maybe there's a farbrangan happening. If you walk into a Zal late night at three in the morning, there's probably some people still farbranging, even though it's not strictly Torah study. Whereas if you would take someone that's Jewish or Jewishly involved, but perhaps a little less comfortable with it, perhaps they'll treat that room more, you know, the way I guess churches are depicted in movies where it's very, you know, heavy and ominous and silent and, and, you know, reverent um which it's not so because that is kind of my illustration inside my own head of a zal and that's kind of how adam and i have always studied i should say that we were studying basically since we came back to america from china three four years ago five years ago i don't know um that's how we study so it kind of gave me the feeling of a zal and therefore the the idea of the podcast uh, is the zal podcast however the uh 
that's the pros of the name. The cons of the name is that no one freaking knows what the Zal is. So <laughs> it isn't a great selling point. You know, the search engine optimization uh, is weak. It's probably an acronym for something. I, should, I feel like we should also say in case there's anybody that doesn't understand sort of basic, uh, well, something maybe, you know, level two Yiddish that a f- for bringing it means getting for schnicket. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> thank you for that. Just translation. to clarify in the Yiddish English, dictionary, you know I mean? <laughs> it's like, yeah. see, see, you um, know, when you see a, a entry into a dictionary, like see this word. So for far bringing it, sees yeah. see far snickered, and if you see Adam Levinson, he'll see give you that explanation. There's like a Marx Brothers routine where they where it's like, well, how do I know what horse to bet on? They keep giving him like other books, and they're like, well, to understand that book, you need this other book, and to understand that book, you know, Groucho Marx leaves holding a library. <laughs> yeah, but that is, you know, I think it, it's sort of like what you're saying about who feels the license to actually interpret. You know, and it's so interesting that in, in an orthodox context or ultra-orthodox context, people go, of course, you know, of course, you know, because I have that knowledge. And on the other side, it's so easy to take something as, as scripture because it's easier to do it that way. Or maybe just because you feel, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know enough to push back, even though for me, the core of judaism or even philosophy in general is like well you have to start pushing back that's the only way you can even figure out what it is you think or figure out what the meaning is that you're you know you're trying to understand right um, you have to start from somewhere gotta start from somewhere you gotta feel do you think that's true that like the it's a core of of jewish uh um intellectual practice to be critical of basically anything that you're taking in. Um, yes, that is definitely a core. You know, we have Pesach, Passover, which basically that's the message of the entire holiday of just asking as much as you can. But I will say that sometimes that, um, that principle is taken perhaps a little bit too much at face value where people will begin pulling the rug out of a con- of a conversation simply because they're not allowing mm. any common premises to be laid, premises to be laid. I'm getting kind of philosophical, I guess, but it's not a mitzvah to question for the sake of questioning. Let's put it that way. Uh, if right. you truly need to understand or seeking, then questioning is not just good and kosher, but it's critical. But if you're simply, you know, trying to engage in sophistry or uh, debate for the sake of debate, then I probably would say that it's not a Jewish value. It's not even a human value in my book, but um, but this is philosophical. You know, ideally, on other episodes, I would find some Jewish texts which would address this more head on because I'm speaking kind of from my gut without kind of backing it up with... Uh, with Jewish texts or scripture, um, which is great conversationally, but also, I don't know if I'm representing them correctly. You know, that's another aspect of the Zal. This isn't a lecture. I can't say that everything I am saying is 100% vetted and kosher by the, you know, Orthodox rabbinate in Jerusalem of Sanhedrin <laughs> and whatnot. 
But um, <laughs> this is a discussion among friends. You know, I should probably say that as a disclaimer to this very podcast. You know, this is a discussion among friends. Some things I know, but when I don't know, I'll, you know, I'm not representing Judaism for those things. And I'd happily say um, I'm not 100% sure, but that's just kind of my gut. Almost in the, t- w- with regards to your specific question, in the Talmud, sometimes you'll find uh, the Talmud ask, like, if there isn't any practical ramifications of the following debate, there is no point of debating. In other words, you'll, you'll have the question, Lamai Nafkamina, which is uh, Aramaic for what comes out of here? What legal ramification comes out of here? Like, are we just having fun debating? Because they were brilliant people and probably love debating, but uh, they weren't looking to waste their time or, or you know, just engage in, in mental sharpening. You know, it wasn't just an exercise. So, so that's also, I guess, an example where not all questions are worth answering. Yeah, I was thinking about that in, in the context of what we were going to look at today, because that was something that I thought, you know, just going over it for the first time, tilted in this direction of much more certainty than I'm used to hearing or thinking about um, with these kind of really broad questions about how to live a life, you know? Um, yes, that's a, that's think, a really good point. Yeah. I feel, yeah, you know, and, and, and maybe you'll be like, well, it's not that certain. I don't know. So that's, that's what I'm curious. We'll get into it. Here. You know, we don't want to leave the, um, the listeners in suspense, but, um, so but yeah, you're absolutely right. <laughs> They're boiling up. Um, so let's jump <laughs> into it, I guess. There's probably way more prefaces that we should be making, but, uh, you know, we, I don't, I can't think of them. And I also don't want to take too much time. Any prefaces on your part, Adam? Yeah, you know, with the, the screenwriters, they say cut the first 30 pages. They're like, whatever you think you needed to start, just don't do it to begin with. I think, and you know, and what you're saying about like expertise, I also think that's not, it's not, it shouldn't be the necessary um, prerequisite for conversation. Like talk about your gut. You Well, you have a Jewish gut. You know, isn't that a starting? I mean, you probably like yes. lactose intolerant for starters. <laughs> that's in the gut. We're just in denial Jeez. about it. Um, yeah, yeah. No, you're right. So, no, you're 100 percent right. I agree. I'm just saying that when it is coming from the gut, that disclaimer should be made. To the contrary, embrace the gut. Just admit that it's the gut, and I'm not speaking in the name of Mount Sinai or something uber intense. Sure. Sure. Okay, so for today's uh, piece of Torah, or this week, so this month, I don't know how frequently this will end up happening. For the record, we were discussing this podcast for what, a year already? Yeah, we're going to do one every two hours. So keep your phones on. Uh, Yeah. Also, what do people say? I was wondering, what do people say on podcasts? You know what I mean? Like, like and subscribe. Is that a thing? Do we say that? Oh, um. It, uh, just, just shout out loud. You know what I mean? Just like, we'll hear, you know, if you're just start a, just start a small cult where all you do is listening. We'll find you and we'll come visit. We'll go from there. We don't have that. Um, okay. So for uh, today's, I think there should be different tiers of it. Like if you are my mother, then you are required yeah. to like us and subscribe to us on every platform. That's if right. it's just like a casual acquaintance, maybe just a like, perhaps a subscribe. <laughs> if it's passing the street, you know, there's, there should be tears to that. 
Well, I feel like we're going to be talking about what actually is a mitzvah and what you should do. So maybe, I don't know if this is the 614th, you know what I mean? But there's, there, there could be one that's like, you listen to it. So you're gonna, you know, you're gonna do something. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I, well, maybe we can figure that out by the end. Okay. Um, so today's uh, piece of Torah, it comes from a book known as Rishimis, how a Chabad person pronounces it, or Rishimot, if you have a modern Israeli pronunciation. Um, it, the Rishimis are a collection of notes that the Lubavitcher Rebbe wrote to himself uh, during his lifetime. And upon his passing, the, his Hasidim, his followers, us Chabadniks, uh, found the notebook and published it for all intents and purposes. So when studying Rishimus, often uh, it's written quite cryptically, as one would write notes to themselves. But obviously, we're talking about a Rebbe, the Rebbe. Um, the notes contain much depth and meaning. So also, it happened to have been, what's today? The Hebrew day is Vav Talmud. So the Rebbe's yard site, the day he passed away, was Gimel Talmud. So that was three days ago. So it's pretty, pretty opportune time as well to study his Torah. So this piece, I don't know, we'll have to like publish it somewhere so the person, so the people listening can follow along. But um, if you happen to have a Roshimus in your house, it's uh, Folio 44. Well, you had your translation that you read out loud was really good. I don't know if you want to do that. Um, yeah, I would, I would, I would do that. maybe uh, read it. You'll, you'll interrupt me with points or translation notes and uh we could do it that way i figured um but sometimes like maybe i should say this too ideally we would have the torah source uh published somewhere either under like the podcast notes or on a website or on facebook or something where the listener can um study it for themselves and reflect on it and maybe reach their own gut interpretation you know and my interpretation is just as good as theirs and that could be a part of the discussion as well. You know, if you feel like Adam or I misunderstood a certain point or we emphasized a point that shouldn't have been emphasized or we missed a point that should have been emphasized, uh, you know, send it in. We don't even have an email address. <laughs> so uh, carrier pigeon it is. <laughs> we, uh, I mean, it's like ra what Rap Genius was doing, you know, for lyrics. I don't know if there's a Torah, Torah genius, you know, but I'm going to. I'm going to, you know, I'm Googling that right now. No, there's not a Torah genius. Um, but, you, you know, where you can like see all the word, you know, because even every word is a pivot point. You know, every word is something that can then be, right. um, is, a, is a place to branch off of. So, so I guess for now, when we're starting, um, any, wherever you're seeing this podcast posted, I don't even know where that will be. I guess that's a good place to, to comment your thoughts. So. And we'll make an email address if this gets more than what, 15 views, <laughs> 15 listeners. What's our threshold? We're findable. We're findable. You know, send us a message on uh, Instagram or online. David, you know, uh, how many David Grossbaums are there in uh, None. There's Indiana? a David A. Grossbaum um, lawyer in Boston. I'm sure he'll let you know if he gets an accidental email, you know? <laughs> but you have to be, you have to be wary <laughs> about the billable hours with the lawyers. It, that's true. Okay. Um, so.
So we're going to be starting Folio 44, uh, I guess chapter two, as it's divided by those that published it. Adam, do you have it up in front of you? Do you have like the, the on your phone or whatnot? Yeah, I have, I, have, uh, I have the Hebrew, which I cannot read, and I have the translation. So follow along in the Hebrew, and, um, and you'll uh, stop me whenever. Okay, chapter, we're starting with chapter two, because again, we're looking for small bite-sized pieces so they can be analyzed in a short podcast. I don't even know how short it's going to be, this first one. Okay. Bria ta'adam va'olam, or should I pronounce it the way I usually do? Bria ta'adam va'olam. Uh, the creation of all of humanity and the world. Oh, I should preface that this this uh, Rishima was based on the Talmudic line. This Talmudic line, which the Rebbe is basing this note on, which is Kol That's the axiom brought in the Talmud and Tractate Shabbat. That everything that God created in this world, nothing was created purposeless. Nothing was created purposeless. Everything serves a purpose. That's the line in the Talmud. So obviously, a very philosophical and heavy line, but uh, it's that line that the Rebbe begins analyzing it. Okay. The creation of mankind in the world is So the line in the Talmud said that everything in this world is created for a purpose. But what is that purpose? So the Rebbe says that it's brought in Hasidic mysticism, and we'll have this discussion many, many times. But the purpose of the creation of the world was because God, this is the line, you know, the infinite depth. But this is the line that we're analyzing. God desired that there be a dwelling place for him in the lower realms. That's the line. God desired a dwelling place for himself in the lower realms. Lower realms referring to this world. How does, how does one accomplish a dwelling place for God? Through a person's mitzvot, through a person's good deeds. Right? It says that all of creation was created for the purpose of mankind, for the usage of mankind. And a, per, a human's usage was to serve God. So therefore, by extension, everything in this world somehow can be used in the service of God, of Hashem. And there's that expectation. So just in case you thought we're going to be starting off with lighter things. <laughs> um, no, this is uh, definitely heavy. Vim Kane, if so, kol maisei ha'adam. This is the Rebbe writing. All a person's deeds, umashi'irala, and what occurs to him, hakol lekayim mashenetztava, oy bishvilzeh. Everything uh, that a per- that occurs to a person and all his deeds, it's to fulfill God's will, or as a means to fulfill God's will. Either you're reaching the fulfillment of God's will itself, or it's building a road toward that direction. And here the Rebbe underlines the ein davar umuuda ba'elam sheitzim eklalzeh. There is no thing and there's no occurrence in this world which is excluded from this world. Every single thing that exists, its purpose is basically to use out, to utilize in the service of God. How so? So the Rebbe explains. The land is kol, kol mashabara. Everything God created was for his service. 
So that word kol can be basically divided. Nechak legimel could be divided into three categories. Either, number one, usr, things that are forbidden. Bey is number two, mitzvah, things that are, are straight up a good deed. And number three, rishos, things that are permissible. I, should, I, I guess I'm translating. Which means, let's, let's give examples. Let's pause for a moment, take it out of the text, right? Every single thing in this world can be utilized for either the prevention of bad or evil, the accomplishment of good or a mitzvah, or they're neutral, right? So you take, for example, uh, you know, challah, tefillin, pretty straight up, you could perform a mitzvah with them. Take, for example, pork, you know, the concept of murder, you know, these things are pretty straight up that they're forbidden. You know, those things are clear cut. But then there's the 99% of things, and I don't think I'm exaggerating when I say 99% of things that are just neutral. You know, they're not objectively good and holy, and they're not objectively bad. You know, take uh, literally look around, look around you right now. Probably all those things around you can be used for a good thing and can be used for a bad thing, and it just depends how you use it. Um, by the way, Adam, if you want to jump in, uh, I don't know, you're going to lift a finger, but, but don't hesitate. Okay. Emphasizes what I just said that um, all these things which are technically neutral and just permissible obviously may be utilized for good if you decide to. So I don't know the concept of money or the concept of social media. You know, it's all we're always debating: are these things good things or bad things? Uh, it really could go either way. You know, that's the Jewish perspective, and it just depends how you how you use them. Okay, so that's that's the premise. The premise is that everything in this world is usable toward the accomplishment or of good or the prevention of evil. The imkain, and therefore the Rebbe continues and says, having said that, at every moment, of a person's life, and in whichever situation he finds himself, himself, all the things he can do in the following moment and all the paths he could choose to take. Therefore, the Rebbe makes a bridge, a mental bridge, and says that if it's true that everything is usable for good uh, or technically the prevention of evil, right? If so, at any given moment, the next moment only has one ideal usage. Only has one ideal usage. To basically to maximize the goodness accomplished or to minimize the evil that exists. Um, this is, yeah. Yeah, go ahead. yeah, no, this is, this is where, I mean, I, I kind of want you to go, go over all of, um, just the next paragraph as well, but this is kind of where things start getting really, um, where I start having a lot of questions. Um, the one, the oneness, the narrowness of that. Um, so the, the narrowness exists objectively. I don't even think you need to be a religious person to believe that objectively there's one good thing for the next given moment. But, and this is a huge but, the Rebbe is not talking about it, What's extremely difficult is the determination of what that best move is. 
But I feel like what the Reb is getting at over here is not so much to eat yourself up alive in saying that, am I fulfilling the utmost potential of the next moment? It's more the knowledge that the utmost potential exists and therefore you should strive toward it. So like I was, I always give this example. And if I repeat it on the, a future podcast, you'll stop me in advance because I might repeat it a hundred times. But let's say, for example, um, who's a great person that's everyone agrees is great. Martin Luther King Jr., right? Unbelievable leader in America. He, uh, let's say he made the decision that instead of pursuing civil rights, he will volunteer in a soup kitchen as a janitor for the rest of his days. So, and let's say he, he not just volunteered, but he truly kept that promise and every single moment of his day and the rest of his life was filled with volunteering in an objectively good organization, right? So quantitatively, his life was completely given over to goodness. Would you say, and I'm asking you this question, I know what I would answer. Would you say that it's unfortunate that this quantitative perfection came at the sacrifice of his civil rights good deeds? Would you say that that's unfortunate? Um, do you understand the question? I, I do. I think that it's just the existence of perfection as a concept that really changes or can change how people, how people live, how they think, how they create binaries, absolutes that can exist. And even if, you know, on one hand, it is really good to say, well, why don't I try, just try and live up to this model? But on the other hand, it can be, you know, the perfect being the enemy of the good. And saying, well, if I'm not going to do that, then I might as well do something else. Or somebody that disagrees with that premise of what's ideal saying, well, then screw everything. I'll do, you know, anything else. I mean, it's, it's. Um, I think you're right. I think you're right. I think it's, it's, a, it's truly a balance because the perfect being the enemy of the good is a real concept. And therefore, if your pursuit of perfection hinders even the accomplishment of good, then you're right. And then therefore that isn't perfection, you know? So, so then it's even worse than not just doing perfection. You're not even doing good. Um, so, so it's the balance. It's the knowledge that a object and objective perfect exists. However, don't let yourself be completely consumed in determining what it is and what it'll take from you. I guess you just kind of have to live life as it comes in a way. You know, it's that. How could you not? I mean, that's that's so. You know, I, I think about overthinking. I think about overthinking. Oh, geez, I'm in trouble. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, because you know, to me, it's like the idea that you know, there's multiple mitzvot that could come from any permissible thing. Also, like there, how could there not be more than one path for starters? That's one side, and the other is if you try and think of the best move, like chess, you know, uh, but at so much more complicated of a level, you know, three-dimensional chess or four dimensions, you know. That's a, that's a great to... metaphor. That is an amazing metaphor. Do you mind if I run with that a bit further? Run as, as, as far as you want. And then so I'll I play be... chess and uh, yeah. I'm, I'm just okay with it. 
I don't don't get me wrong. I'm not amazing. I'm pretty decent. Um, there is, as far as we know, a best move that exists in every moment. You know, usually that best move is found by computer algorithms, which constantly get perfected. Um, and 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 change by the way the best move constantly changes based on how strong of an algorithm you have but at any given moment there is an objective best move that humanity knows about in any given situation in chess however if you're a human being and you're seeking that best move in any moment uh, if i would be seeking the very best move in ev- before i move in chess my clock would run out because you play with a clock and you'd lose on time and that's a really a beautiful metaphor to, for life. You know what I mean? So this, the Reb is emphasizing the existence of a perfect move and something that you should strive for, but you can't let your clock run out in, in if preventing you from doing even a good move, which would get you the, the checkmate also. Um, then, then the question is, what are the distinctions between chess and life that make that metaphor not a perfect analogy and there are obviously some things i think it's perfect Uh, i just think it's the struggle you know the struggle of knowledge of perfection the balance i should say not the struggle the struggle to find balance between the knowledge of perfection and making moves but but in chess it's perfect in terms of winning the game that's perfect there's no winning life uh and, and every move along the way is not just a means to an end like it is in chess. You make a move, you sacrifice a thing. It all doesn't matter so long as you get king. But in life, no, everything has this collateral effect on yourself, on the people around you. And even at the end, not to mention every move matters. Every move has its own effects. Okay. And at the end, what, what, there is, there's no knocking a king down and going, I did it. Right. So you're, you're saying our, that the calculation is more difficult. I agree. I'm saying the calculation is, is exponentially more difficult, of course. And then I don't know if that challenges the idea of a, of a single best path because that also seems to imply the idea of a single best destination, which I don't, I, I don't know if that... You know, we don't have like the, well, you're either saved or not, you know, heaven and hell. You made it to the end. Congratulations. Mm-hmm. Victor, victory life. Mm-hmm. Um, and even so, there's so many lives. I think people will say, well, that person did a good life and it's mm-hmm. totally different from love. So what is that? Yeah, no, so I don't think this discussion of being, you know, fulfilling one's potential necessarily gets into the discussion of the heaven and the hell things. I don't think there was insinuating that if you, you know, if you ended up being that janitor for the rest of your life, instead of doing the good that you could have accomplished in whatever your chosen field, I don't think therefore you're relegated to hell. No, um, of course not. Of course not. I, I just mean like when you, you know, the idea of, you know, getting to the end of, the, of life and saying this is a good life. If there are so many different ways that that could look. Then how do we, go backwards and say, well, there's actually still a best path, even though they all ended up. Well, let's put it this way. I think I said it already, but, and this is my understanding, but if the calculation of what that best path is takes away from your pursuit of a good path, then that, then the, then the reflecting about the best path clearly wasn't part of the best path (laughs) because it's not allowing you to do anything. 
So yeah, so it's just struggling between those two extremes of doing something while calculating the doing. Yeah. I guess, yeah, that's probably me just speaking very, very, uh, very personally, just the idea for me that there could be something best is, is a pretty paralyzing thought and, and I'm a bad chess player, you know, like I, and maybe that's part of it. Um, but that, right. And I think other people could process that a lot better and take things as they come in the moment. Um, I hear it. I hear it. I think both quite, I think both sides are something that one should constantly reflect on. And your side is definitely, is definitely a true one. Okay. Let's finish the, the text. Um, So that elaborates on what we already said, but um, in short, either if you if you haven't done the right move, either you straight up did a sin, or you missed an opportunity to do a good deed, or you didn't do the good deed that you were performing as best you can, right? So any one of these things would be an indication of less than perfection. Um, so I'm going to, if anyone's following along in the book, which I don't think anyone will be, I'll be skipping a paragraph and continuing with, with the words v'imkain. And this is the, the final paragraph we'll be learning, v'imkain. Therefore, here the Rebbe sums it up. Kishiraya o'ishemeya is a dover. When somebody sees or hears anything, an outgrowth of the previous discussion is the following. When someone sees or hears anything, or even if you don't see or hear it, but somehow you gained a new piece of knowledge, one must say, based on the above, that A, it isn't for nothing. B, there's only one path which one can take afterwards, after this gaining and seeing or hearing or knowing something. Vehu, and number three is, see, uh, with that knowledge, he must utilize it and fulfill a mitzvah. And so it is with everything. Anything that exists in the in the atmosphere of this world and in all worlds that everything serves its purpose so you know when i hear it's it's again it's it's summing up the things we already discussed but i guess on the one hand it is paralyzing like you said that was the word you used and you're right it's heavy and almost inescapable it takes a lot of oxygen in the room on the one hand but on the other hand it's almost empowering because the knowledge that everything that occurs was part of the purpose of whatever your mission is and every, everyone's mission is different. You know that whatever your mission is, it's fulfillable based on the current circumstances. That's also a heavy thought and almost cancels out the other heavy thought. You know, it's, it's, a, it's, it, it equalizes it because um, if God felt that this thing that someone is struggling to overcome, you know, the struggling with, at any given moment, would be a contradiction, uh, uh, a an essential contradiction to the person's mission, whatever that mission is, then that thing wouldn't exist because God expects you to fulfill your mission. And if the mission would be hampered at all or impossible at all because of this um, struggle in your way, 
then uh, it wouldn't be there. So if it's there, clearly you could accomplish whatever you need to accomplish. Okay. But these are so hard to think about everything being on the table in that way that everything then has these options about what to do. I often just think about diner menus, you know, and how much is on them. You go to a diner, set page. Is there a right? Is there a right choice? If so, I've never made it in my lifetime. You know, you want to go with as many people as possible and steal bits of whatever they got and then always regret your own choice. Uh, but like, what is the right? Even now, like I'm supposed to put more money in the meter with this app. Okay. Yeah, I don't think it's a sin to get a parking ticket. Uh, it's definitely permissible to put more money in the meter, but it's not, it's not a mitzvah to not, right. you know what I mean? Pay a hundred dollars to the city of Philadelphia for whatever, staying on the street for two. Right. No. Yeah. So the existence what is the- of a perfect truth is you could admit to it, but to submit to it to the extent that you suddenly can't think and can't live your life then that's a contradiction to that perf- that very perfect truth. It's a catch-22 almost. What's the, what is the perfect path to take in the moment after the present if the moment is just I park my car? Like what is the... So maybe the park in the car... What is the path to a mitzvah? Yeah, no, I don't know. The park in the car example, I, I don't know. It's very niche and very specific. Is there some goodness that could be accomplished via it? Probably. Is it determinable easily? Probably not. But you used to be able to. You used to be able to. You know, if you put extra money in the meter, then whoever comes later, right, then right, it's like right. oh, free time. You know that feeling you park and you're like, oh my god, you know, like free. Yeah. You know, it's, it's already got time, and I don't even need to look for court. You can't do that now. It's all on an app. You know, you put in your license plate. It's terrible. You know, you can't even give somebody. Um, you don't need quarters, but you can't. You know, it's everything's become separated in a way that I think it's that actually makes it even harder to connect one thing to the next. To connect you have to be pretty self-aware to to know what is a true worthwhile reflection and what's just procrastination. Okay. That's also a big question. I get reminded of the line in, that the Rebbe would quote a lot. I think it's from Talmud of Chatef Vachel Chatef that you kind of just have to grab whatever you see and eat and drink. It's a metaphor, but just like anytime you see an opportunity to do a good deed, just grab it, you know, and that you're fulfilled, you're, you've filled that fo- those following moments in the most efficient way possible of the promotion of goodness. Um, you know, and usually once you're too deep into the weeds of these reflections, usually it's just a, a mechanism, whether it's conscious or subconscious, uh, taking you away, I would say, from, from what you should do. Yeah, that's something I feel like we've talked about before. And I, I, will, I think we should I definitely want to talk about more some other time. Just, you know, when you're walking on the street and there's somebody homeless and there is an enormous spectrum of of how much you could give or what you could do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for like perfection becomes a truly difficult, I mean, impossible, something to think about, especially when you're thinking sociologically, you know, not just an individual and 
it's everything's part of a larger system, but also in that moment, what, what's the, what is, what's the best thing to do? And if more is better, like, are you always kind of shirking the option of doing as much as you could do? Right. Um, but that's, it's a, funny. Like I was, I was just in Crown Heights. I don't know. How long are we going on for? How long has it been? Who knows? Um, eight I was just days. in Crown Heights. It's going to be a and- miracle. They had their, their phones <laughs> only had battery for two hours. It lasted for eight days <laughs> of podcasting. <laughs> um, so I was in, I was in Crown Heights and I went to Farbringen among friends. And I guess there was one maybe mentor figure there too, a rabbi from Montreal. And we were discussing that, you know, it's a difficult discussion, but he's like, anytime he, he was taking a pretty blanket statement closer to your side, almost where he was saying like, anytime there's any reflection, this was his thing. I, I want to represent him well, and I haven't given his name, so I won't be embarrassing him by not by misrepresenting him, but still he was saying, anytime you're about to do something good. And then there comes a, you know, a back thought somewhere in the recesses of your mind to not do it. If that thought is only occurring in this context, then you know, it's BS. So, so his example was like, let's say I want to meditate during davening, you know, really connect to my prayer, really become one with God in the moment and be present and all that. And instead I tell myself that I'm tired and therefore I'm not going to do it. Um, that being tired is a valid excuse if it's a valid excuse, you know, but ask yourself if I would be on the verge of, you know, having a chance to, I don't know, fill in the blank, you know, something that would be more enticing to somebody. And I wouldn't excuse myself that I'm tired. Then even the consideration that you're tired, you know, it's BS and it's just coming from a bad place. So he was, again, but being you can't tired. It, being tired is, what? But that is an excuse. Well, being tired is, I mean, it uh, seems like a valid excuse for all, kind of for all kinds of stuff. right if it's Even valid that, yeah. right so if that tiredness would prevent you from doing things that you technically want to do then it's a valid excuse and go to sleep but if you know you're only utilizing this excuse for something that you anyway don't want to do just because it's delayed gratification you know then you know it's bs and that's that was yeah. his i'm I'm, t- I'm saying i'm quoting him you know and he was painting with a broad brush too this is the reflection on the point the side of things that you were saying that if you just kind of are constantly reflecting about what perfection is and what the ideal move is you'll never do anything right that was mm-hmm. that was kind of closer to his point mm-hmm. it's tough but at least we know i'd say at least we know the principles that both of these borderline contradictory principles both are truths in their own realm and you have to wrestle with them constantly it's a lot of wrestling. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I had another question, which is um, about, about the first part and the idea about creation, about what was created for man and the reason, the reason for even humanity existing. Um, however, however, whatever angle you come to that, mm-hmm. uh, there's something that feels very tautological about it, you know, very, very circular. There's the creation of man and by, by, you know, by a being that created man for himself. Well, is that, so is that like, I'm trying to, you know, and I'm trying to analogize, I'm trying to think about all the, you know, all the ways of saying that. Is that like, you know, a scientist that makes a robot and everything in the workshop is for the robot to make the, you know, and to 
help it become a more efficient thing. But then the robot's job is going to be like make really good sandwiches and bring them back to the guy, which isn't for nothing. Like that isn't, right. it isn't for nothing. But when we're talking about a scientist, you know, if we're talking about God in this conception, mm-hmm. it's, it's not something that needs anything. Doesn't right. like God right. doesn't so you basically, need sandwiches. You've, you've, entered into three i i would probably say massive questions basically in that one statement of yours a atheism versus theism that you have to you have to believe to have that premise you have to believe a, you're right it's a great point i should probably say that to have the premise the correct premises for the points made in today's piece of Torah, you a have to believe god exists b you have to believe that god has a purpose for all of us um and in between that, you have to, you also have to believe that God needs something of us, which is a huge philosophical and theological discussion. Um, and the point, and after those three premises, the Rebbe comes to say that the fulfillment of God's wants from us can be occurring at every single moment, and therefore try to try to utilize your time correctly. That's what the Rebbe is innovating. But you're right; you need those. You need those foundations before getting into this discussion. Um, I will say that for most of the Torah, that foundation is already laid. <laughs> you know, there's the the discussion of God's existence and the discussion of the nature of God's existence and the and discussions of why and if God needs something of us are all huge discussions. But for the majority of the Torah, it's all based on the foundation that like, yeah, God exists. We're in a religion. So clearly he expects something of us. I mean, that's the definition of religion. Religion means that you're doing something for God, which is dictated by him. In other words, you're serving God. Is that, is that necessarily... See, I, I think that even in the idea of the service of goodness, which is often, you know, I feel like a lot of times you can take scripture and... and uh, you know, if you wrote out guy, just squeeze an O in there. And a lot of it still makes sense. Like you're doing it in service of what is good. And in some ways you could just say, well, a lot of the reason of humanity, what it does is in the service of humanity, a thing that is a mitzvah is, is so easy to me, often so easily comprehensible as something that's just like good for another person. It's good at just at that lower realm right. level. So I almost, I wonder if you even need that, at least that third premise, especially when you of have course you this do. idea that- Of course you do, because do you? That, that explanation of serving humanity, and of course it's extremely a Jewish concept, no doubt. But if that was the only thing that's going on in the Jewish religion, then how do you explain all the mitzvahs between man and God? You know, that, that, that explains all the mitzvahs between man and man, but then there's like tefillin. When I lay tefillin or when a woman lights Shabbat candles, it's a spiritual deed. You know, and and clearly that's more than just the here and the now affecting a, a, a human being at this very moment. There's clearly something more spiritual occurring. Now, Jewish philosophers, some say that you, you'll hear it all the time and it depends on the context. And I'm no expert to, to know when and how that context is applied, but that even the spiritual you know, mitzvahs are for the human perfection. You know, it's for our experience. It's for our effect. And there is an element of truth in that, but it's an element, you know. But these are all massive discussions that probably... Yeah, it's all connected. What are we holding at? 
everything's connected to everything. I, you know, I think about like just, uh, you know, just that last example of, of lighting Shabbat candles. Like I often am completely focused on lighting Shabbat candles. It could be so focused on like who else is there and on that sense of communion and solidarity that's created. And even thinking about like, hey, there's a lot of other people around the world doing this right now also. And so that's an mm-hmm. even broader question. Mm-hmm. Or yeah, I mean, even if I'm, you know, by myself, I was up in the mountains in the middle of nowhere for a month last month. And it's like, I can let them myself. And there's still something that's deeply human. I know that's not, I know that's not. Um, no, it's definitely. Contradicting the other parts. But it's, yeah, you know, you're right. It's, it's, it's like, how much do you, I don't know, maybe it's like, where does the needle go? And for some people go, it's only, this is only for God, it's only looking up and it doesn't have anything to do with people. And then at another level, there is this sort of absolute disagreement, which is mm-hmm. like, you don't need anything else to exist at all in order for this to be a good like Like most thing things in, in Judaism, it's really a, a both. It's an and both situation. It's a both. It's a both. Man, man, this is why we're lawyers, isn't it? <laughs> just, just, I'll go both ways, man. Which way do you want me to go? I'll, I'll, you know, I'll push on that. But in my head, I'm going, eh, to be on the other side. <laughs> exactly. Anyways, I, I, by the way, I, I neglected to say at the beginning of the podcast, I think we'll call it Keeps for the Torah. But at the beginning of the podcast, Adam is generally an extremely accomplished individual. He is uh, studying or no longer studying, but... Um, reaching his PhD goals in sociology at Yale, and he is a stand-up comic. Is any of your stand-up comedy online? I'm not going to tell you where to find it. <laughs> oh, <laughs> spicy! No, I just mean you know we you know this is uh, it's a different it's a different context. I mean you know. Okay. Yeah, but the. Right. Aren't um, rabbis? Aren't rabbis basically just doing stand up most of the time? Isn't just that how? Uh, what's that? Is super Jewy comedian? How to get started? Come oh, on, Jackie Mason. Well, Jackie Mason. I think he started as and, a rabbi. And they're preacher. I mean, there've been preachers as well that have that have gone in. You know, it's, um, there's right. a lot of commonality. All right, you'll you'll find it on the inter- interwebs. And then lastly, he is a published author. He wrote the Abu Dhabi Bar Mitzvah, which you can probably get somewhere. That that is findable, yes. Amazon, sure. Okay. Try and find your local bookstore. Support support the. uh, That's probably a mitzvah to uh, stick it to Jeff Bezos. You know what I mean? I think that's probably (laughs) the best path in life is always to do the thing that will annoy Jeff Bezos the most. A rule of thumb. I think think that's in Leviticus, to be honest. (laughs) It's somewhere in there. It's like this freaking guy. You know, it's definitely like in Gematria, you know, there's some like acrostic for Bezos. Right. Yeah. What's his. Yeah, exactly. What's his house number? And why <laughs> does it mean locusts? You know, like, uh, that's great. Anyways, Adam, this was good. Uh, God willing, many more. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's always, you know, it's always really great to talk and I think to accept this idea, this is really hard for me, I think, because I, I probably do really come from this idea of like, what is the best thing for me to do in this total paralysis? So even, you know, separated from the specific conversation, it's always great to talk to you. I think I feel like I come away from it feeling like, 
Yeah, there are good things to do, but 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 as soon as you find yourself being so stuck, just just what am I trying to say? Just don't be. I, I don't, you know, which is essentially impossible. But it's also okay. I know I can't do this. I know I can't. When somebody's like make a decision and they're like three, two, one, you have to do it. Then mm-hmm. it makes it more possible to live, live a life. Um, so, hi, brother. Uh, Thank you for listening. If you made it this far, by the way. Yeah, listen to it on one point five times speed. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right, see you, brother. Okay, man. I'll talk to you soon.